Everyone, uh, if you can open your Bibles this morning or look up at the screen, we're reading from Acts chapter 1. Um, and we're going to read through to verse 14. All right. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he adored, so he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you, into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Here ends the reading. Alrighty, good morning, everyone. It's um, great to see you, and I am... Um, I hope you're encouraged. Are you like I'm sitting here and I'm like so encouraged by what's happening, not just this morning, but throughout this weekend. I mean, Friday night we took our youth to a to the RTC for like a seminar on like social media and stuff. And like I was it's like it's a pretty heavy topic and there's a lot of talking, a lot of content. But the way that they engage, interact, I was like super encouraged. And then yesterday seeing people walking, volunteering, running an event, so as big as it is, it going smoothly. This morning, music team, Uncle Roy shared, um, what's happening in the care team, seeing Philippa leading our service. Like, I'm just so encouraged. And if it's true, which I think it is, that we are these, I'm going to use this because I think this is fantastic. If this is all we are, <laughs> a glove that can't do much, and yet all this is happening, is that not evidence that God is at work? 
And I just am encouraged by that. And so I hope you are too. Um, You might be thinking, what's going on? I thought we were looking at the book of Luke, and now we're into Acts. And uh, if you're not sure, if you're not, uh, not aware, Luke and Acts are written by the same person, Luke. They're written to the same person, this guy named Theophilus. And it's like part one, part two. And as we wrap up the series today, on called the, which we've called The Way, as we wrap that up, um, we want to look at, well, how does Jesus actually leave his disciples? Because he leaves them, and I believe that he gives them all that they need to then now go out and live out what he's taught in part one. And if you read through part two, if you read through Acts, you see that everything that Jesus did continues. Uh, I remember that someone's like saying... I remember years ago, we preached through Acts, I think, back at Argyle Way. And one of the things I remember, I don't know who said it, I guess, let's say it was Glenn. But I just remember that it's, like, it's almost like Jesus never left when you read through Acts. Because everything continues and even like moves forward. And so we want to look at how does Jesus, um, I guess, equip the disciples with what they need um, at the end of Luke and the start of Acts. So these combinations, so we'll sort of, we'll touch on a bit of what we talked about last week and then look at Acts 1. But the way I see it, it's almost like the, um, it's like this pre-game huddle was the image I had as I was reading through Luke 24 and Acts 1, where, you know, these guys have gone through like a vigorous pre-season, three years of walking around, listening to Jesus, learning the ways, learning the game plan. You know, he's given them all the directions, all the things, and then it's like he rises again. He spends, we read that he spends 40 days at different parts, appearing to the disciples, appearing to his different followers. And in that time, it's like this sort of last gathering where the coach is in amongst the players and said, all right, guys. And he re-emphasizes a few key things. He then heads up into the coach's box and says to the players, all right, off you go your time. And, um, and so over the last, in the end of Luke, start of Acts, I want to point out four things that uh, are key for us as we live out the way. This verse in Peter, in Second Peter, his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I really believe that God has given us all that we need to live the way. God has given us all that we need for life and godliness. Like, that's a big claim that the Bible makes, that we have all that we need. And uh, I want to look at a few of those things this morning, that these four things are not options. They're not sort of optional things that you might, all right, I'll step into it if I, if I feel like it, or I'll step into it. Like, these are necessary for us to live the way. So the four things are the Word, the Spirit, the Church, and the world. So we're going to look at those things this morning. So firstly, the Word. We looked at this a lot last week, so I'm not going to rehash everything because Andrew did a great job explaining to us this encounter that Jesus has with the men on the road to Emmaus and the way that he appears to the disciples. 
But there's a couple of key things that I wanted to pick out again, and that's these verses where Jesus said that he, he interpreted all the scriptures. From Moses through the prophets, he interpreted to them all the things that concerned himself. And then later on when he appears to the disciples, it says that he opened their minds to the scriptures. And what we need to understand is that we, if we are going to follow Jesus, if we're going to walk the way, that the word of God is of primary importance. It's not an optional thing. And if I was to ask us, you know, one of the things that we talked about going over this journey of, was that we sort of challenged people to read through the book of Luke leading up until Easter. I mean, I know this is a bit scary. It's a bit scary for me to do this, but like, if this is like I read through all of it, and this is I read through none of it, and there's a moving scale, where did you go? Because if you do it like this, no one really see, but I'll see. But don't worry, God sees it above all. So, I mean, what am I even... Where, who, who, where, where do you fall on the scale, reading through Luke in that time? Mixed response, if you can't, if, you know, without, you don't need to look around and see, but mixed why is that? Why is that that I'm not trying to like guilt trip us into that, but like, why do we find it so hard to turn to God's word when we know, when we believe, when we profess, particularly in a reformed faith, that it is of utmost importance? We need to wrestle with that. We need to look at our lives and assess our hearts and go, if we really believe this, then we cannot live without it. And it's not just because, you know, often we treat the Bible as like this roadmap or this instruction manual that it's just going to te- it's going to show us all the ways that we live, you know, and follow Jesus, and then we get all these things and we begin to tick a box. Like that's not the heart of it. As Andrew talked about last week, that first and foremost, this word reveals Jesus to us. Jesus didn't open their minds to see all the things, all the commands, and all the things that they had to do. When Jesus encountered the disciples, he opened their minds to understand how it pointed to him, so that they would understand that he is their Lord, he is the Savior, he is God, and that was what was important. See, the way, when we think about it, it's really not just about doing certain things, but it's about following a certain someone. The way is a person. Hebrews 1, it says that the Son is the exact representation of the nature of God. Colossians 1 says that Jesus is filled with the fullness of God. So when we're looking to Jesus, we're actually seeing, okay, that's the way. And so we don't need more instructions. We don't need more commands. What we need is we need to see Jesus more. And that happens as we open God's word. That's what Andrew talked about so much last week. And of course, the word has instruction. The word has comfort for the broken. The word confronts those who are proud and self-righteous. The word, you know, has promises and truth that we can hold on to. Like, I get all that. And it's so rich in all that. But first and foremost, above all, it reveals Jesus. So I want to encourage us. If we are 
if we desire to walk this way, if we desire to follow Jesus, and I know it sounds like Sunday School 101, but we need to read the Word. We need to rely on it. We need to believe that it has the truth that we need. It points us to Jesus. So Jesus opens the minds of his disciples to the scriptures. The second thing, and probably the one I want to focus on a lot more this morning, is the Spirit. So we read in we read it in the end of Luke twenty-four that he said, "Wait for the promise of the Father," and then Luke writes the same thing in Acts one: "Wait for the promise of the Father, and you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many not many days from now." And so they wait. And we see in verse 14 that they devote themselves to prayer. They were gathered together in one accord, probably for about 10 days. Is sort of, if you sort of put the, together the biblical tradition and stuff, for about 10 days they were gathered together waiting. Can you imagine like how hard that would be? They've seen Jesus resurrected. They've eaten breakfast with him. He's opened their mind to the scriptures. At the end of Luke, it says that they returned to Jerusalem. They were praising God in the temple every day. Like, imagine how excited they were. And then Jesus, like, puts the brakes on and says, actually, just wait a minute. Because <laughs> you're still <laughs> a glove. You still need something more. And he says, wait. And so they wait for 10 days because Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you look forward to chapter 2 and the Holy Spirit falls on the disciples and it's incredible. It really is. The Holy Spirit falls upon the disciples and they go out and, I mean, the world is never the same because of what happens. God works through them, the church grows and the kingdom advances and, well, I guess here we are because of that. Here's the beauty for us, is we do not have to wait. We do not have to wait for the Spirit to fall. The Bible teaches that we are a new creation. When we believe in Jesus, when we turn to him, that we are then filled with the Spirit. The Spirit lives in us. This is what 1 John 4 says, that whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he is God. Like, there's no waiting in that verse. (laughs) If you believe, if you confess that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then the Spirit is within you. God abides in you. Paul writes it in Romans 8. You, however, are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. I love the way that it's put in the book of Titus. I don't think you probably didn't expect that one to be referenced. But I came the book of Titus, chapter 3. It says, He saved us. Is on next? Yeah. He saved us not because of works done by righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out onto us richly through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 
Like what a beautiful summary of the gospel. That we're saved, not because of what we've done, but because of God's mercy. And because we're washed clean, now the Spirit can actually reside in us and He's poured Him out richly. Through Jesus Christ our Saviour. So I think it's pretty clear that the Bible teaches that the Spirit indwells every believer. But why is our experience so often not the case of that? I don't know about you, but I feel like that is not always... like I do not walk around every day thinking, oh my gosh, like the Spirit has been richly poured out on me today. Like Maybe it's just me. Why do we have that? Well... The Bible also says that we can grieve the Spirit, that we can quench the Spirit. We're encouraged to be filled with the Spirit. We're encouraged to keep in step with the Spirit. So maybe that implies that we can fall out of step with the Spirit, that we can quench it, that we can sort of neglect and and push it away. Push Him away, sorry. I keep referring to the Spirit as an it. It's a person. I wrote a 2,000-word essay on that. And it's still. This is what Henry Blackaby writes. While all Christians. That's a bit small, sorry. Listen carefully if you can't read it. While all Christians have the Holy Spirit residing within them, every area of a Christian's life is not necessarily surrendered to the Spirit's control. We can restrict the Spirit's influence in our lives to the smallest corner of our lives. Nevertheless, the Holy Spirit is never content to be a mute, neglected guest in the upstairs guest room of our lives. He intends to be absolute Lord and to occupy and rule every dimension of our existence. Scripture exhorts believers to be filled with the Spirit, and this means that our lives are completely and continually surrendered to Him. Every aspect of our lives is to be accessible and yielded to Christ. You know, maybe for us, the big thing when it comes to the Holy Spirit is that we actually need to surrender. <laughs> and we need to surrender control. We need to actually allow Jesus to rule and to reign like we talked about a few weeks ago and to be the Lord of our lives in every dimension. And this can be daunting, but it really should be exciting for us because the Holy Spirit is one of power. You see, as we read through Acts, and it's the same at the end of Luke 24, Jesus links the Holy Spirit to this word power. And the Greek word is dynamis, where we get the word dynamite. It literally means having the ability to perform, being able to do something that you couldn't do. So that what Jesus says is that you'll have the ability to live the way. You'll have the ability to perform once the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then you'll have the power to live the way. Which is really the story that God's been writing all throughout the Bible. That you cannot do this without me. Even in the Old Testament, in Zechariah, it says, you know, it's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. 
I mean, just substitute your own words into that. Not by my, not by our programs, not by our music, not by our knowledge, not by our wisdom, not by our strategies, not by our love, not by our generosity, not by our justice, not by whatever it is, not by that. Are we going to live the way? Are we going to follow Jesus? Are we going to impact the world? But by his spirit. He is the power. We are the glove. And so really quickly, what does the Holy Spirit do? Here's a few things. The Spirit gives life. We read about the gifts of the Spirit. The Spirit gives gifts of wisdom, knowledge, healing, working in miracles, prophecy, the ability to distinguish between spirits, gifts of tongues. We read of the fruits of the Spirit, of love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. Faithfulness, self-control. In John 14, 16, Jesus, the big emphasis there is that the Holy Spirit actually leads us to the Father and leads us to Jesus, reminds us of truth, teaches us His commands. He takes what is Jesus and He declares it then to us. But the Holy Spirit leads us Back to Jesus, back to God. Jesus also says in the same passages that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. The Holy Spirit declares things that are to come, helps in our weakness by interceding. Where the Spirit is, there is freedom. The Spirit transforms us into Christ's likeness. And so really the big question is, which power are we walking in? As we follow Jesus, as we walk the way, which power do we rely on? Do we rely on God's power, God's spirit to, you know, get us going and so that we can actually do what he's called us to do? Or do we just continue to try and do it in our own strength thinking, I've got this, I've got this under control, I can sort this out one day. You know, I had moments this week where, you know, I've been negotiating with God. You know, I don't know if any of you do this, but like, yeah, I'll sort that out when I get there. You know, I'll be, I'll be generous when I've got a full-time job. You know, or I'll, I'll sort out my purity stuff when I get into a serious relationship. Or I'll do this when you do that. You know, and we... Anyone else do that, or is that just me? You know, we just think one day I'll sort that out, and we sort of get into this negotiation of God, which is really just actually I want to control my life, I want to do my own thing, and you can do that, and I'll be happy if you do that. Or are we actually going to trust that as we walk this way, that the Spirit's power will do that, and that will give us life? First and foremost, the Spirit gives us life. 
leads us into the way following Jesus, knowing that he's the true one, the one that satisfies. You know, in John, Jesus gets up at the end of the, at the, end of the feast and says, Come to me, all who are thirsty. And these rivers, he refers to the Spirit as a river that then will flow through you. As you accept Jesus, it then flows through you. I love that picture of the Spirit as a river. That brings life. That brings flourishing. That brings... But do we actually trust? Do we actually want to walk in that way? And so we've touched on the Word, talked about the Spirit, which, you know, in classic Reformed theology are like, you know, that's Calvin's two things. He always talks about the Word and Spirit. And uh, obviously they are of utmost importance. But I want to talk about a couple of things as well that I think we often miss. I think that we often miss as we read through Acts 1 is that Jesus has not just spent three years teaching people and showing people this is how you live, but what Jesus has been doing in a subtle way is he's been gathering a people. That over three years he's brought these people together and said, this is how you live. This is how you... And he taught them, and together they then live it out. In Acts 1 we see that there's 120 people, which is a bit different to like, you know, the crowds that were following him, you know, they all turned away because it was too hard. But there's 120 people who are gathered together, who are of one accord. They're ready to go and they're praying, they're waiting, and the Spirit pours upon them and then they go out and live it. Jesus didn't just pick a few individuals, say, follow me, and then send them out. No, he picked some individuals, gathered them together, taught them, walked with them, and then his spirit fell upon them. See, don't get me wrong, the, the, Holy, Spirit individu- the Holy Spirit indwells us individually. For sure, the Bible teaches that. But also the Holy Spirit indwells us collectively in a unique and special way. That when we gather together like this, or in a life group, or in our homes, like there's something unique about that. Not just because we're all lovely people, and we look good, and we're pretty funny, and we have a great time. No, there's something unique about that, because Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, there I am. In Ephesians 2, verse 22, it says, In Him, which is Christ, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So it's not just that you individually are dwelling in place, but like we together are being built for God to dwell among us. So that should totally change the way that we interact as a community, the way that we approach our Sunday mornings, like Donna challenged us this morning. Totally changes everything. Because if the Spirit is here in a unique way when we gather as a life group, as a ministry, as, you know, whatever it is, as a church. The Spirit is amongst us in a unique, special way. That should get us expectant and excited and should encourage us to actually step into what God has for us. 
How are you going with living together as a body of Christ? Look at the language that Jesus uses when he talks about the church, one of a body, one of a family, one of like you cannot do it yourself. It's never about flying solo. It's always about this togetherness, this collective. And particularly in our day and age where that is not the norm in society, we get taught the exact opposite message that actually you can do it and you are important and you deserve it and it's all about me, me, me. To then realign ourselves with actually God's word where it's about us. That takes a big shift. We actually need to let people in. We actually need to share our struggles and our burdens with each other, not just do it alone. We need to be willing to step in when people do share those things. How are we we going with that? You know, the other week we had had Generate, and um, Glenn talked about this. We, We talked about community, and he took us through all these verses throughout the Old Testament, the, the one another verses. I think we've got them on the screen. They might be a bit small, but you can basically randomly flick to a page in the New Testament and find a one another verse. It's a verse that says we are to love one another or we are to encourage one another or be at peace with one another. Greet one another. Don't complain against one another. Don't devour. You know, all these instructions. And like, I went away from that service just thinking, what if we could do that better? Like, what if? What if we really like deeply encouraged each other? What if we actually confessed our sins to each other and dealt with things in a real way? What if we shared each other's burdens? What if, imagine that kind of community. And imagine what that would mean for us as we walked the way. I don't know. I would personally find it a little bit easier. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, it can be really hard trying to do it yourself. But if we could let people in, and if we could be willing to step into each other's lives and encourage and build up and support, love, walk together, knowing that. That is one of the reasons the Spirit has been given to us. That is one of the things that the Holy Spirit desires to do, is to build us together into a dwelling place as we live like that. So we walk in the truth of the Word, the power of the Spirit, the love of the family. But the big thing that we see in Acts 1 is that it's not meant to stay within the four walls. What does Jesus say to them in verse 8? You will receive power when my spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Like, Just think of the Pentecost story in Acts 2. Like these guys have been praying for 10 days, waiting for the Spirit to fall. And the Spirit comes. There's a great wind. There's tongues of fire. They're speaking different languages. Like, like 
can you like that's an incredible moment it's particularly if you've been waiting for it and you've been praying about it and then it happens but notice what they don't do they don't stay there they don't go oh how cool is this and let's just capture this moment and stay here in the presence and what do they do they go out straight away speaking these different languages and and what's incredible about it is that God had actually planned this whole thing because there was all these people there for Pentecost from all different nations people that knew God and they heard the gospel in their own native tongue it was no accident that the spirit fell on this day when God had planned it all out so all these people are there hearing the gospel and they go out and they preach and Peter stands up and preaches a sermon and 3,000 people are saved that day. You know, as I was reading it, I've just got thinking like that what if for us, you know, we've been given his word, we've been given the spirit, we've been given a family, but we've also been given a context to live that out in. And the beauty of the Bible is that your context is no accident either. This is what Paul says in Acts 17. He made from one man every nation and says that he has determined and allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. That God has determined and allotted periods and boundaries of their or our dwelling place. Like that is the sovereignty of God, that is the the power of God, that He has He's determined where you live, where I live, where this church is, the people around us, the community that we're in. There's no accidents in all of that. You know, it's like in the story of Esther, you know, where she's become queen of a pagan nation. And the Jews are about to be wiped out and her uncle Mordecai comes up and says, maybe you're actually here for such a time as this to save our people. It's no accident that you've risen to this place of power at such a time as this. Maybe, not, not maybe, God has placed you in this context, in this time, for his purposes and his reasons. Maybe it's not in Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria, but I'm pretty sure it's somewhere within the end of the earth. And we're called to be his witnesses in that place. Called to go out and share what God has done in our lives, share how he has saved us and how he's brought his spirit upon us and given us a hope for a future. That your neighborhood, your workplace, your school, your uni, your sporting club, your friendship group, your family, none of that is an accident. That gets me a bit excited. Because there's what? About 120 people here. And what if we could actually devote ourselves to praying 
for God's spirit to move, for us to grow in our knowledge and understanding of his word, for him to reveal himself to us more, for us to live and love like a family so that we could go out into our context for such a time as this, to be his witnesses, to share his good news. Because as we've been looking at over the last number of weeks, the way has been opened. Jesus has come. He's died, rose again, so that we might find life. That we can have forgiveness of sins. That we can now have His Spirit living inside of us. That we can live a different way to this world. That we can find hope and joy and peace in Christ. And that this way of life, this person of Jesus, is actually good. It's worthwhile. It's satisfying. It's exciting. It's daunting. It's going to cost. It's you know, a dying to ourselves, but it's also in that a finding of life. And so may we go out knowing that we have his word, we have his spirit, we have a family, we are intentionally placed in his world so that we can go and live the way. That we can move together in following Jesus, that we can grow and mature and in our faith we can become more like him and we can also have an impact in the world around us for his glory his kingdom. Amen? Amen. I'm going to um, invite our music team up. We're going to finish off with this song. And it, it's a new song. We, I think we did it at Generate a couple months ago. Uh, it's called In the Hands of Christ My King. And um, this song, one of the reasons we intentionally sort of picked this song and said we want to do this in our church is because... Um, it has a bit of a different theme to most of the songs that we sing in our church. It talks about the Holy Spirit, which, you know, oh, we don't often have that. We don't have a whole lot of, like, we're looking through our songs. We've got n- hardly any of our songs mention the Holy Spirit, which is a whole other issue. But, um, so this song, but it talks about the Holy Spirit in a really, like, biblical way. It says, Come Holy Spirit, move in power. Ignite my heart again. Show me the Father, show me the Son. That is the role of the Spirit, to lead us closer to Jesus, to ignite our hearts, to give us this life and power. And then in that, the chorus is really simple. That all my hope is found in the hands of Christ my King. So may my life be found in the hands of Christ my King. So that's my prayer this morning, that... For some of you, this is a point, this is maybe a time of surrender. Of actually saying, you know what? I have kept things to myself. I've tried to keep control in different areas. I'm going in my own strength. And so this song is a song of surrender and saying, okay, my hope is found in the hands of Christ my King. May my life be found in the hands of Christ my King. 
And for some of us, maybe this song is more a song of invitation, of actually saying, you know what, God, I've been trying, and I've been trying to do these things in myself, but I just want to invite you again just to come into my life, to reign and rule in power, to move, because I need you. So I want to give you 30 seconds to think about what boat you might be in. Are you in the surrender boat? Are you in the invitation boat? Are you in both boats? I don't know. Have a think about that for 30 seconds. Just assess where you're at with God. And then um, you guys can lead us away in a 